good to see you all. So um, one of the debates that's been going on in the American church for a while is about the role that women can have in the church. Um, Like, is it okay for women to be pastors or not? Uh, Can women teach and preach in a church or not? And if women can be pastors, can they be lead pastors, or do they always need to be under the authority of men? And, and you can find churches and denominations anywhere along that spectrum. I'm, I'm pretty sure anyone who's not involved in a church, and probably a fair number of people who are in the church, probably look at this question and say, why is this even a debate? Is this a, really an issue? Uh, I mean, there's been this massive move, right, toward equal rights for women in our nation over the past hundred years or so. It's a wonderful thing ever since women were given the right to vote, which was like over a hundred years ago now. And it's the 21st century. Uh, So um, of course they might say women can do anything men can do. Uh, But our understanding and practice of the role of women in ministry and leadership in the church can't be based on what the culture says is right. We have to let scripture shape us, right? And, and shape us as individuals, shape what we do as a church. And there are some verses in the New Testament that seem to clearly say that women cannot preach or teach or be in a position of authority in the church. But as you're probably aware, we regularly have women teach and preach here. Uh, and we're part of a family of churches, the vineyard, in which women are encouraged and supported at every level of leadership in the church. So as a church, you know, as a family of churches trying to be guided by the Bible, how can that be? Uh, Well, it's not a position that was arrived at lightly. It took years of prayer. And the the first thing I think it's really important to kind of humbly acknowledge is that this is one of those questions that people debate and there's probably never going to be a final answer on, right? No absolute certainty. It's what we would call a disputable matter in, in the church. Different, sincere, godly Christians have come to different conclusions. So as tempting as it might be to say, uh, you know, I'm right and you're wrong, we need to try to avoid doing that. Um, or, or thinking that this is like some big defining issue that determines if you're a Christian or not, or if you're biblical or not. It's not heresy either way, right? But it is our position in the vineyard that that women can teach and preach and lead at any level of the church. So I thought it'd be good to talk today about why we believe that's what the Bible teaches. So that's where we're going to go for today. Are you with me? All right, good. Can you tell I'm a little nervous talking about this? (laughs) I have no idea where you're at on it. All right, so let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. Just give us your grace, give us your uh, wisdom, give us your insight, speak to me, and just we just release your peace, your grace, your joy in this place as uh, we are here in your presence. May you continue to do your work in us today, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I've been living as a follower of Jesus for about 50 years now. Can you believe that? That makes me really old. So... 50 years, and for about the first half of that, I was taught and believed and taught others that women cannot be a senior leader or elder or lead pastor in the church. Now, we didn't exclude women from all ministry or even from all teaching, but we were convinced back then that the Bible teaches that women could not be in charge, you know, uh, that God simply hadn't designed them for that kind of a role. 
But one thing I learned pretty early as a follower of Jesus is it really helps to stay teachable and flexible, um, open to new things that God's showing me, because he tends to grow us over time, right? Now I find it interesting that I had that view about women, because uh, even way back in the book of Judges, after the time when Israel had entered the promised land, but before their monarchy was established, God raised up a woman named Deborah to be one of the people who led the Israelites and delivered them from their enemies. So this is Judges chapter 4 talking about that. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is a cycle in Judges, if you go read it. Again, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And now that Ehud was dead... Uh, uh, now that Ehud was dead, that's why they did evil. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin the king of Canaan who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in somewhere, Hasereth Hagoyim. <laughs> who knows? Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, everybody called him Lappy, uh, was leading <laughs> Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. So there is no denying the fact that the world of the ancient Israelites and even the world of the New Testament, these worlds from which the scriptures were written, were largely male-led, male-dominated patriarchal cultures. That was the world back then, right? And, and so most of the leaders that we read about in the Bible were men, which I think makes it all the more remarkable that there are exceptions to that rule, like Deborah. The period of the Judges was a pretty dark time in Israel's history. Judges is a really good book to read if you want to see God's unending faithful love on display. Because over and over for centuries, the Israelites would slide into worshiping idols and living in ways counter to the covenant God had made with them at Sinai. They weren't following the Ten Commandments. They weren't bearing God's name well at all, as we've been talking about for the past ten weeks or so. Well, when you live like that, ignoring God's commands, that opens your life and your world to all sorts of chaos and destruction. We've all seen that, right? In Israel's case, that chaos and destruction came in the form of enemy armies sweeping in and conquering them over and over. But over and over, God would rescue them. He never gave up on them. He would raise up a judge, which wasn't a judge like we think of a judge, you know, not a courtroom and black robes and all that kind of stuff. These judges were military leaders and governors who would defeat Israel's enemies and then, at least some of the time, govern in accordance with God's law. But a lot of those judges weren't exactly great moral models themselves. Uh, you read about Samson and some of the others. They, they had their pretty big flaws. In fact, of all of the judges that are described in any detail, Deborah's the only one of them of whom nothing negative is said. She was also a prophet. She was a woman of strength and faith and courage. 
Deborah is a great example of how God is not limited by our stereotypes or by cultural expectations. Her story tells us that God's call to lead is based on gifting, not gender. Which really should not surprise us if we consider God's original plan for us as it's revealed in the first two chapters of Genesis. Some fundamental questions every Christian leader wrestles with is things like, who do I think I am, right? Who am I that I should lead? Why should anybody listen to me? And, and maybe the women leaders in the early church looked back to Deborah as they wrestled with those questions. But eventually our minds wander even further back, all the way to the story of Adam and Eve, to ask even more fundamental questions like, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a human being created in the image of God? So this is what Genesis 1, 26 to 28 has to say about that. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. That passage paints a pretty amazing picture to answer those fundamental questions, if you think about it. It's telling us that God created us. He created human beings, male and female, to rule over this created world. That's pretty amazing. Uh, Rule on his behalf. God, God didn't make the world perfect when he created it but he created it as good. He didn't create it as a completely finished product, but he created it full of potential. And he created us to draw that potential out, to partner with God in causing all of creation to become fully everything that God intended it to be. That's what we're here for, right? Isn't that amazing? That's what ruling on behalf of God looks like. And this role of ruling was given to both men and women with no distinction, no sense of of one gender being in charge over the other. Genesis 2 zooms in on that and tells the same story with more detail. And that's where we read in in Genesis 2.18 that the Lord God said it's not good for the man to be alone, which is the first time Anything is called not good in creation. And then God goes on to say, I'll make a helper suitable for him. It's interesting that it doesn't say that Adam was lonely, which is sometimes how we think about that. I mean, we don't know. Maybe he was. But the sense of the text is that what he needed was a partner in order to be and do what God had created him to be and do. A partner so that together they could rule creation well. Now that word helper 
makes it sound like the woman would be his assistant, doesn't it? As if the man would do the real ruling and the woman would kind of tidy up afterwards, right? <laughs> that's what sound, we, it's easy to sound like that. Well, that Hebrew word that's used, the Hebrew word that's translated helper is the word ezer, up there on the screen, ezer. Uh, it means someone who contributes to completing a task or accomplishing a goal. Well, the same word is used a number of times throughout the Old Testament to describe God. He is our Ezer. He is our helper. And clearly, being our helper doesn't mean God is lower in authority or purpose. His job isn't just to tidy up fast for us, right? Um, it's, it didn't carry that mean, meaning for the woman in Genesis either. In the original creation, God made man and woman to be equal partners, equally in the image of God, equally called to rule over creation with no sense of one being greater or having more authority or greater purpose than the other. It's when sin comes into the world in Genesis 3, and that gets messed up then. And there starts to be conflicts and competition and fighting over who's the boss. In the new creation, when Jesus appears and we're resurrected and we live with Jesus in that new creation, fully restored to everything God intended for us, when that happens one day, all of the effects of sin will be gone. And the amazing good news of Jesus is that because Jesus died and rose again, and because he has ascended to heaven and he's ruling over all things and he's poured out his Holy Spirit on all of us who are followers of Jesus, young and old, every race, every ethnicity, both men and women, we all get to begin living as new creation people now. Whatever will be in the new creation, we're called to live as much as we can now as much as we can receive by grace, as much as we can experience through God's presence and power now. See, Jesus bore the curse of Genesis 3 for us on the cross. So rather than live as Genesis 3 people, as though we're under that curse, we're to live by the grace and the power of God as Genesis 1 and 2 people. That's got all sorts of implications, right? That's why we don't need to live in shame and guilt and all this stuff that so many of us struggle with and insecurity. God broke that curse and our journey with Jesus is learning to, to become and realize who we already have become to be, becoming on the outside like who he's already made us through his Holy Spirit, right? Uh, as a kind of people God originally created us to be. And part of what that means in the church is that God's call to lead is based on gifting not gender. Anybody mad at me yet? No? Okay, good. We'll keep going now. All right. So what about, though, those passages in the Bible that seem to say the opposite, right? Um, well, first of all, let me say that this is a much bigger question, much bigger topic than I can cover in one sermon, right? I'm planning on coming back to this in May and spend a few Sundays talking about what the Bible has to say about women and men and our partnership in the world and being these new creation people together, right? 
But since we're currently interviewing candidates to be my eventual replacement here, and one of those candidates happens to be a woman, I thought it would probably be good to begin to address the topic now, right? Just because the question could come up. And on the topic of that transition, I wanted to let you know we are going to hold another town hall meeting uh, in two weeks, right after our service on the first Sunday in December, where we can update you on you know, who the candidates are, uh, what our next steps are, that kind of thing. So I hope you can be here for that in a couple of weeks, December 3rd, that'll be. And if you want to dig more into this issue, you know, you really would really like to read up on this, I have several papers I could give you to read um, that I have collected over the years. I'd be happy to share those with you. Or if you have questions, I'm more than happy to sit down and talk about this stuff with you. Uh, I can also recommend an excellent book that I recently read called Tell Her Story. Uh, this one here, I just finished this a couple weeks ago, How Women Led, Taught, and Ministered in the Early Church. Uh, it's by a professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary just over the line in Illinois. Really, really good book. He does a great job of helping us notice all the women who are mentioned in the New Testament who were ministering and leading in the church, including leading churches. So women like Lydia and Junia and Prisca and Nympha and Yodia and Satiki, women whom God called into leadership based on their gifting, not their gender. You know, like I said, for my first 25 years of following Jesus, I didn't see it the way I see it today. And, and I didn't change my views overnight. So if what I am sharing is new or different for you, you know, take your time with it. Read, pray, ask questions, that kind of thing. Because you do have those other passages. And that's what creates some confusion sometimes. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 to 35 says, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty strong, right? Yeah, I mean, what do you do with that? 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 12, says a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be quiet. So they're there. That's in the Bible, right? And we don't believe we can just ignore those passages. Nor do we believe we can write them off as simply being outdated or by saying, as I've heard numbers of people say, Paul just had a problem with women right? <laughs> that isn't how we treat the scriptures. We can't do that with it. The whole Bible, and, and it's just not true either. That's the thing. It's not true. Paul didn't have a problem with women. The whole Bible from beginning to end, and Jesus and Paul in particular especially, constantly elevate the role and the status of women pushing against the male-dominated culture of their day. But you must read passages like this within their context, because context is what? Everything. everything. Context is everything. Which means understanding that they are found in real letters that Paul wrote to real people in real churches who were dealing with real problems. Our challenge, you know, 2,000 years later, is that we only have half the conversation. 
You know, we can read what's in the letter, but we don't know for sure what problem Paul was responding to. And the temptation is to assume that everything Paul wrote in his letters is a universal truth to be applied to all people for all time. Now, many things Paul wrote are universal truths, like that Jesus died for our sins and we're saved by grace and will one day rise from the dead like Jesus did. Those are universal truth. And those things are consistently stated and restated throughout the Bible. But if you have Paul praising women who are leaders in Romans 16, and you do, but then telling people they can't be leaders in 1 Timothy 2, well, that's a clue that the Timothy passage, in that passage, Paul's dealing with a problem, a specific problem, rather than stating a universal truth. Does that make sense? Yeah. You look for the consistencies. You look for what does the overall scripture say. That's part of context. There's a couple theories as to what the problem was. And, and most of the scholars, the Bible scholars who have studied this, think what was going on is that some women in the church in Ephesus, which is where Timothy was, were being influenced by the goddess worship for which Ephesus was famous. Uh, Artemis was the main goddess in Ephesus, huge temple for her there. And, and the cult of Artemis was known for its rather violent tendencies, quite violent. It promoted a message of extreme, unhealthy female empowerment that women should become like Artemis, who was this wild warrior-like goddess, and dominate the men of the world. That's what the Artemis cult kind of pushed. So if this was infiltrating the church in Ephesus, you know, if it was something some of the women were adopting and trying to bring into the church, then it wouldn't have been that the women were simply seeking equality with, with men, uh, or, or to share in the leadership based on their gifting, it was that they wanted to dominate the men and overpower and subjugate the men. And that's what they think was maybe going on. It's interesting that the word Paul used, uh, the one he chose to use, which is translated as authority in this passage, where he says, I don't permit a woman to have authority. Well, that's not the normal Greek word that's used for authority. Uh, uh, it's a word that means to domineer or to usurp authority, which is what some of the older translations, uh, that's how they translated it. It's even translated murder as murder in some places. Uh, it's that strong of a word. So rather than living into who God says we are in Genesis 1 and 2 and, and to what we're called to be as new creation people, it seems like these particular women were feeding into the curse of Genesis 3. And that's what Paul was addressing, we think, in this letter to Timothy. He was saying to those women, that's not right. You, know, you can't be teaching that. That's not, that's not the way Jesus taught us to live or think. You're creating division. You're creating animosity. And that has to stop. Chances are he was addressing something very similar to the church in Corinth because they had similar pagan cults there. So, does that all kind of make sense? Yeah, that's how we see it. See, when I first started to see this all in Scripture, this was many, many, many years ago, um, it, what I realized is that you can make a case for women not being able to lead or teach at all in the church 
If you take just those few verses, like the two I put on the screen, right? The Corinthians and, and the Timothy. If you just take them on their own and you don't look at anything else, you can make a case that women should not be able to lead or teach at all. In fact, they really shouldn't be talking, right? Just, just be quiet. Yeah, yeah. Or you can make a case from the Bible for women being able to lead at any level. If, if you, I think, take Scripture as a whole more is how I would say that. But what I didn't see anywhere in the Bible was the middle view that I had been taught and that I had taught others for a while. That women can have some leadership roles, but not the top role, right? That, I don't think, is in the Scripture anywhere. I don't see it anywhere. So for 25 years now, Lisa and I have been the co-lead pastors of this church. You know, I have a more visible role than hers. She's in the nursery today. <laughs> um, yeah, I speak from the front more on Sundays. Well, much more on Sundays. Lisa doesn't really enjoy doing that, although we love it when she does, right? Yeah, I'm always trying to get her to do it, but it's really not her thing. She doesn't like it. I do more of the big picture, visionary stuff. Uh, I, Lisa handles details much better than I do. Um, and she's the one who people love talking to way more than me. <laughs> she really do. But it's not that I'm doing the man's role and I'm really in charge and she's doing the women's role and is just kind of an assistant, right? That's not what this is. We've done this together, each of us using the gifts God has given us. God's call to leadership is based on gifting, not gender. And so it's perfectly reasonable to assume that some women are gifted by God to be the upfront, teaching, visionary, strategic kind of leader, just like some men are. No reason they couldn't be. That's, these women may or may not be married. That's not listed as the qualification for it. There's nothing in the New Testament that says they can only lead under the leadership of a man. And I've found over the years that it really does not work well to tell God what he can and cannot do. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it just doesn't work well at all. Believe me, I've tried. God raised up Deborah in the time of Judges. He raised up Esther, another book in the Bible, during the time of Xerxes. He raised up Lydia and Prisca and all those other women during the time of the apostles. God has raised up women to lead in his church ever since anywhere that men haven't resisted his will. Because we need women to lead just like we need men to lead if we're to be the church and do the stuff that Jesus called us to do. God's call to leadership is based on gifting, not gender. Okay? At least that's my view. That's our view. That's the vineyard view, uh, the vineyard church's view. So to end, this is what I want to do. <clears throat> I'd like to pray for all the women here. Um, you know, some of you are in leadership roles in the church or have been or would like to be. Many of you aren't leading in the church and have no desire to lead in the church, which is perfectly great, too. But you have all been gifted by God. Uh, you have all been gifted, all of you as followers of Jesus, have the Holy Spirit, and you're called to partner with Jesus in ruling over creation in whatever capacity he calls you, whether that's in your home, at work, in your neighborhood, or in the church, in whatever role he calls you. He gifts all of you, right? to take part in what he's calling us to be as Genesis 1 and 2 people. 
So can I have the women stand? And I'm, we're just going to pray for you. And if you're a guy sitting, you can just hold out a hand and bless him or put a hand on their shoulder or whatever. So I'm just going to pray. So come, Holy Spirit. And first of all, where these women have in any way been made to feel second class, on behalf of all of us men, I say, please forgive us. Pour your grace, your blessing, your healing on all of these women as we pray. We confess we need the gifts they bring to the church and to the world. So stir up those gifts, Lord. Empower and release your gifts to them. Help each woman here to see herself the way you see her and have the confidence and trust in you, Jesus, to simply be the person you created her to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you see that. Thanks. So we're going to continue in worship by celebrating the Lord's Supper.